You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. I'm imagining you're familiar with Fiddle on the Roof. It's probably my favorite of all musicals. Um, Tevia, the main character there, uh, is the father, I think, of five girls, so he's one short of me. Not, it's not a competition. I do have six daughters, though. Uh, but his family is you know, living in a small village uh, in Russia in the, kind of the late 19th century. It was a time where Jews were being kind of expelled from that location. And he, his, um, his comments there, I mean, one of the great things about the play and also the film is Tevye's prayers. Like he has this very conversational relationship with God. He just speaks to God the same way you might speak to your neighbor, right? He's just, you know, conversationally, you know, God, it's like this. My, my horse is lame. Why did my horse have to be lame on the Sabbath? Like, I mean, tomorrow's the Sabbath and I have to get home and, you know, I've got all these things to do. And he's kind of constantly praying for his village and he's praying for his family, his wife and his daughters, and he's praying for his people. And he brings up this great point, you know, you know, it's great to be chosen by you, God, but man, maybe it'd be nice if you could choose somebody else every once in a while. Because if we think about the long story of the Jewish people, <clears throat> they, they were slaves, Hebrew slaves in Egypt. And then they were beaten kind of black and blue over the years and eventually they'll end up in exile. And so they're, they're battered first by the Assyrians and then later by the Babylonians and then later by the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Romans. Like, you know, maybe it would be nice if God would choose somebody else every now and then. And when we get to the gospel story, we see that, that Jesus here is referred to not as the son of God, but as the son of Joseph. But it's not something that um, necessarily works out very well for him. And in all of the passages uh, that are selected for, the, for this Sunday, there's a bit from Jeremiah where it talks that I knew you before you were formed. There's this bit from the psalm where it says, from my youth I have trusted in you. Uh, there's some from Paul's letter to the Corinthians where he says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child, I spoke like a child, but now that I'm an adult, I put away childish things. And then there's this interesting part that, that Zach read for us out of Luke's gospel where they say, hey, isn't this Joseph's son? Right? <clears throat> and there's, there's an interesting trajectory in our life. You know, the, the old riddle that they ask the Sphinx, you know, what walks on four legs and then two legs and then three legs? And the answer is a human, right? We first walk on four legs. As toddlers, we're kind of crawling around. Then we walk on two legs, you know, we walk upright. And then if we, if we live long enough, we'll be walking on three legs, right? We'll have a cane. But there's, there's something about that trajectory. There's something about... Um, levels of identity and dependence that I think we often get wrong. That is, generally we think about maturity as increasing amounts of independence. And certainly there is some truth to that. Like the, the children were in here with us this morning during worship and they're coming back at the end of the service to receive communion with us. But as we were singing 
particularly this song, I, I am who you say I am, right? I'm a, I'm a child of God. I am who you, God, who you say that I am. So I'm thinking about that song, and I'm looking at these children, and, and some of them are quite small and still kind of incredibly dependent, right? You have to pick out their clothes. You have to kind of tie their shoes. You have to prepare their meals. Like, children are dependent. And of course, we want them to kind of grow in independence. We, we want them to get to the point where they can kind of care for themselves. But part of what it means to be mature is to realize that we don't exist in this world on our own, that we, we benefit from all sorts of things. So I uh, had time to eat breakfast this morning. I didn't, I didn't buy that breakfast. Someone else purchased it and brought it here. And the people who purchased it and brought it here got it from somewhere else. Like someone else had grown the grain and the fruit that eventually was then later made by someone else into those blueberry muffins, which were really pretty good. And then they got packaged and then they got shipped, right? All of these things are happening around us all the time that kind of support the lives we have. And this... Um, this kind of mirage of independence is just that. It's a, it's a thin layer. It's a veneer that's laid over our lives that makes us think that we're more independent than we actually are. And of course, tragedy can kind of strip that veneer from us. Like we can realize pretty quickly just how fragile life is. Um, you know, home decor was really popular when I was a kid. Like both of my grandmothers and my mom would buy all these sorts of like home decoration pieces. Are you with me yet? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so there was this one in particular that I remember so well. I think I've even referred to it before. And it was just kind of, you know, wise sayings like money can, can buy entertainment, but it can't buy happiness, right? It, it can buy food, but not an appetite. Um, it can buy medicine, but not health. Like the, the reality is life is a gift and that to follow God is to learn to be increasingly dependent upon God. And that is the sign of maturity. Like we get past the, the age, not just of our adolescence, but we get past the age of kind of our young adulthood where we think we've got it all and we can do it all. And we realize, no, I need somebody. And, and I need more than just somebody. I need God. Like, that's part of what I think it means to be a mature adult. And that's why I think Paul's saying, when I was a child, I acted these ways. But now that I'm an adult, I'm going to act these ways. That's not being kind of, I want to be careful here. It's not being anti-child, right? I mean, Jesus would say that the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a child. The kingdom of God belongs to a child. And the, the children teach us so much about joy and hope and expectation and enjoyment. And they're so resilient. I mean, I know my kids are. Like something bad can happen. Something can go really bad for them, like horribly. And then, you know, five minutes later, they're already, you know, attracted to something else. And they're seeing beauty somewhere else. So <clears throat> we might differentiate it like this. The kingdom of God, our mature Christian behavior or becoming a mature Christian, is not about being childish. Like, you don't have to be silly and frivolous. But it is about being childlike. 
And to be childlike, I think, is just that, is to realize that we are sons and daughters of God. Now, typically, um, I have a preference for hymns and worship songs that focus predominantly on God and who God is and what God's doing. But occasionally, we do have other songs, kind of like this song, I Am Who You Say I Am. And, and, and we run in these into the Psalms, too. So it's not just a new Christian thing, like it's an ancient Jewish thing as well, that some of the songs don't focus predominantly just on God, but they'll kind of focus on us and who we are in relationship to God, which is what that song, I Am Who I Say I Am, I think does, right? So it's talking a lot about me as I sing it, right? I'm the I as I sing. I don't know how the rest of you feel. I don't think, oh, look, this song's about Carol, <laughs> right? She's leading us. But no, I, I'm, I'm in there with it. I'm, I'm participating, right? I am who you say I am, right? I'm feeling, I'm feeling the presence of God, and I'm longing for this, right? And I think there is a very, like the Psalms that do this too, God is our God. Not, you know, this is not, we're not distant. And so our identity in those types of songs, I think, are important for us to remind us that we're not just who everyone else says we are. And let me tell you, there are a lot of pressures in this world. There are things that are trying to define for you who you are, right? You're an American citizen, right? You have a passport. You're a Florida citizen. You have a driver's license. And then, you know, you're identifying in all sorts of other ways. We often wear clothing that has um, the, you know, the logo of the clothing on it, right? We can probably look around the room and we can kind of, kind of see it here. Or we drive cars and our, you know, the cars, not, the cars don't just have like the logo and symbols of the car manufacturers. They also have logos and symbols of the car sellers, right? Like the, the car lot is on the back of that too. And if we're, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll, we'll be kind of just, I don't know, almost sedated. Like, like we're in some kind of, like a spiritual or psychological coma, and we don't realize the extent to which we're formed that way. If I'm being honest with you, I, I mean, I am an American citizen, but you know what else I am? I'm Jeff Bezos' customer. I'm a customer of Amazon. We got Amazon Prime, we watch Amazon Prime. It's one of the streaming services we watch, right? We constantly buy something from them, right? I'll just, I don't, I don't even do that part, right? I just pull out my phone, I find what I want, I, I copy the link, I text it to Angela, and then I say, hey, can you get this for me? And you know what, within a day or two, there it is on my front porch. Right? Or even for me, I don't even get it off the front porch. It's on my side of the bed. Angel's picked it off the porch, and there it is, like my side of the bed. Right? <clears throat> so, who pastors your church? Some Amazon customer, I don't know. <laughs> right? But, but here's the thing that's not the true me, that's not the depth of who I am. Right? Who I am is who I am in God. Right? I am a child of God. I am who he says I am. And the same thing was going for, with, Jer with Jeremiah in that text. We didn't, we didn't read it, but it's the first 10 verses or so of the book of Jeremiah. It's from chapter 1. 
And it's like, I knew you before you were formed. I mean, sometimes that text gets used kind of in these in contemporary kind of political debates, but I, I think they might be missing the point. It doesn't say, I knew you as you were being formed. It's not like I was hanging out in your mother's womb just spectating, <laughs> right? Sorry about that. I know that was a little silly. Um, it's, I knew you before you were formed. Like, this, this is a real statement of, like, omniscience, of sovereignty, of who God is. Like, even before you were formed, I knew you. I, I had this plan for you, right, that you would be my prophet. Well, that kind of sounds good, right? Being chosen by God, get to speak for God. Except, do you know the story of Jeremiah? It's, it's a tragedy. It's, it's not a comedy, and it's not kind of, he's not some just epic hero. Like, the poor guy has it really rough. Like, that, that verse 10 of Jeremiah 1 says, here's what you'll have to say. They will pull up and tear, they will pluck up and tear down. They will build and plant. Well, building and planting doesn't sound too bad. The, the, the pulling up and the plucking up and tearing down, I'm not sure. It sounds a little destructive. Like, what's going on with Jeremiah? Is he, is he kind of deconstructing his faith and he's going to come to Oasis and kind of rebuild it? <laughs> like, what is, what is that? What's going on with this dude? Well, the, the, the plucking up and pulling down in Jeremiah becomes a reference that he has to be the prophet who says the exile's on the way. And that's bad news. Like, typically in the Hebrew prophets, there's an open future and the the Israelites are being offered some alternatives like <clears throat> repent, turn to God, you will be rescued, you'll be saved, you'll be blessed. That's like option A, right? Repent, be rescued, be saved, be blessed. Or option B, don't repent, and there's judgment and there's consequences. And so you feel like people have a chance, right? Like you're like, you're you're reading the text, and you're like, choose A, choose A. Except Jeremiah comes and he's like this. Repent, and Babylon, the world power, will come and destroy your city. <laughs> Jeremiah, I think, you might have, I think you might have misheard God. What did you say? I said, God says, repent, and Babylon will come and destroy your city. Well, what happens if we don't repent? Well, Babylon's still coming, but you'll, you'll be destroyed yourselves and taken into captivity. Ooh, that's not very good options. That's tough times. So the plucking up and the tearing down seems to be a reference to the inevitability of hard times, maybe the hardest time for that people group, right? And the building and planting is actually what do we do in the midst of hard times? Like Babylon's going to come and it's going to destroy your nation and your city and your temple and it's going to take you into captivity. Well, what do we do there? Well, go ahead and build a house and plant a garden. What does that suggest? They're going to be there for a while. Like, you're going to be taken into captivity, so build a house and plant a garden? Like, isn't God going to rescue us? <laughs> well, eventually. <laughs> build a house and plant a garden. Listen, Jeremiah really struggled. Granted, he was a young man, and it's tough when you're young. When I was young, people used to say, to me, say things to me, and 
And perhaps if, if you're young yourself, or you might remember when people would say things like, when you get out into the real world, that kind of, that kind of comment, let me tell you something, the real world ain't that bad. Being young can be hard. Like when you're young, there's a lot of things you don't know, you're kind of learning by trial and error, that they don't pay you very well for what you do, right? Being young is hard, I think. Uh, being middle-aged is, I mean, it's got its, it's got its hard things, I guess, but it, for the most part, I think it's easier than being young, right? The, the real world is the real world, and, and you're experiencing it along the way. Jer Jeremiah struggled so much that there's a point where Jeremiah basically just gives up. He's like, thanks, but no thanks. I'm out. Like, uh, I kind of half-jokingly re re referenced it to his faith being deconstructed, but I think in a lot of ways, it's exactly what happened. Jeremiah's like, this is too hard. Who, who can be a son of God? This is too tough. Who can be chosen by God? It's like Tevye. <laughs> Jeremiah's like, eh, every once in a while, can't you choose somebody else? Right? And so Jeremiah finds himself a bit destitute, and then by the time we get to Jeremiah 15, God's not letting Jeremiah forget who he is. It's as though God is singing to Jeremiah, you are who I, who I say you are. And we get basically a second call narrative, another story of him being called to be a prophet. And, and he does it. He, he, God works in him, and he becomes the great prophet that he's now known to be, right? And we, that, that name is kind of even a popular name in our circles. In fact, one of our girls, I can't remember which one, we have too many. Um, <laughs> one of them was going to be Jeremiah, like that was going to be her name. But then we never had a voice. <laughs> the name's still available. <laughs> but with Jesus, Jesus comes and he's, he's read this messianic text in, in Nazareth. And, there, and they, it says, we often read too fast. We read to the end where they're mad. And we think maybe they're mad because Jesus has made a messianic claim, which is a misreading of the text. They are not mad because Jesus said on the Messiah. Right? He reads the text, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and then he says, ta-da, right? He says, here I am. Um, he probably, it wasn't a musical, so he probably wasn't singing it, but he, he basically says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, right? I'm the guy that you were promised for. And that's not what got them, um, to use a very technical term, ticked, right? They're not mad because he's claimed to be the Messiah, when, they, when he first makes that claim, the text says they all spoke well of him and wondered at his gracious words. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Right? So it might be shocking that the, the local carpenter's son is going to get this role, but apparently there is a, a healthy or popular version of populism, right? An expectation that the, every man could become the leader. That was good news for them until Jesus said, pump the brakes a bit. You need to wait and hear what this is going to look like. And what it looked like was not the deliverance for themselves that they had hoped for, but what it looked like was going to be deliverance for other folk. A widow from Sidon. 
a foreigner. The healing of Naaman, right? And that's the point where they respond. But I think what Jesus gets, and I think eventually what Jeremiah gets, and what the psalmist wants us to get when he says, I've known you, Lord, since my youth, is where I think we do find ourselves in Paul. That passage, which I'm pretty sure you've all heard before, when I was a child, I thought like a child, act like a child, spoke like a child, but when I grew old, I put away childless things, act like an adult. That is a summary statement. It's a summary statement on the heels of the love passage, right? It's 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not boastful. It doesn't, it, it's not in competition. It doesn't have to win. It defers. It cares for the other. Like, deference, I think, might be one of the key characteristics of maturity. Like, How can you tell a mature person or what I might call a well-adjusted adult from an underdeveloped adult or a childish person is that they haven't learned to defer, to to not to have to win. You know, there's the old, uh, I've seen it in so many different places. I've seen it in a cartoon. I've I've heard it repeated before. But... um, you know, someone travels and travels and travels to speak to the wise guru, and he says, um, what's, what's the key to life? The guru sits there for a minute, and he says, never argue with a fool. And the traveler says, no, that's, a, that's not it. That's not it. What's the key to life? It must be something else. And the guru said, yes, you're right. I love it, right? Ah, God help us, right? To be who he's made us to be, to realize that at the end of the day, we are sons and daughters of God. That's where our value is. And I might even go as far to say this, that everyone you meet, right, has been created in the image of God. Everyone you meet, Jesus died for. And so... So adopting a bit of uh, perspective of deference is, I think, to embody the love that Paul talks about. And therefore, like Paul, to have put away the childish things, but not necessarily the childlike things, so that we can continue to find our own identity as the children of God. So I think most of you know, uh, my, my parents are deceased. My dad died when I was 26. That was too, too young, too young to lose your father. And then my mom died when I was 40, which might not seem necessarily especially young. But when you're 40, that's only one year from 39. And I can tell you this, when at that age, I, I, didn't, I felt like I should have known more than what I did. Like I was surprised. I thought 40-year-olds didn't have the same kind of questions I was still having, right? <clears throat> but this, this life that we live is a life that we live, I think, at best, at its best, in God, where we learn both to trust in God and, again, like that song said, 
to see that we are who God says we are. And I think that is Christian maturity. And that's what I want for myself. And that's what I want for each of you. Because I think as we embody that in our lives, we'll, be, we'll become that kind of, not just become that kind of people, but we'll become that kind of community. And I think our families and our neighbors and our um, neighborhoods and our towns and cities, they need communities like that. They need communities where they're the, the dominant, most, most common way of being in the world is one of deference and of love and of mature, the maturity of being the children of God. I know there's a, there's a bit of a kind of oxymoronic irony to that statement, but if you can, if I'm, if I'm being at all clear, I think you'll catch what I'm saying there, the maturity of being the children of God. That's my hope, my hope for all of us. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.